Did I mention you should put God first? Did I mention that? Yeah, you should. <laughs> you, should you should put God first. Okay, okay. Alrighty, we are live. Live. Genesis 33. Justin, do you want to do the honors? Let's do it, baby. Genesis 33, verse 1. Then Jacob raised his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two slave women. And he put the slave women and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He raised his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the slave woman came forward with her children, and they bowed down. And Leah likewise came forward with her children, and they bowed down. And afterward, Joseph came forward with Rachel, and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I have met? And he said, To find favor and the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Jacob said, No, please. If now I have found favor in your sight, then accept my gift from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. And you received me favorably. Please accept my gift, which has been brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me. And because I have plenty, so he urged him, and he accepted it. Nice. So as we picked up in verse in chapter thirty-two, here in verse thirty-three, we see that Jacob and Esau finally meet, and they don't meet in Esau's hometown. Esau and these four hundred men came out to meet Jacob out of their hometown, and so they're kind of in the middle of the, his traveling path of ultimately getting home. And there's an interesting order in which Jacob puts his family to ultimately meet Esau. So in verse 2, Jacob ultimately put the slave women and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. So if y'all recall... Jacob ultimately married not only Rachel and Leah, but he also married both of their slaves. And so he's got four wives that we know about, and each of these wives have children. And so he is throwing the slave women and their children first, followed by, followed by Leah, then followed by Rachel, it's no surprise that this order actually took place because he seems to be ranking, you know, who he is showing more favoritism to, right? It's like, hey, let's put <laughs> let's put the people I like best in the back with me and the people that I still like, but I just don't like them as much as these people over here. So uh, somewhat of a tough order to put everybody in. If everybody wasn't sure where their place was in the family, after this, I'm sure they figured it out pretty clearly. 
Good call. So um, at least though with this, at least he rode on in front as opposed to when he sent them ahead, uh, you know, in the at the end of last chapter. He does seem to switch up his plan uh, kind of in the last minute or, you know, who knows what his plan actually was, but he seems he seems to jump out in front kind of in the last minute, verse three, but he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So he just says, forget the order. I'm jumping out in front. This is crazy. Let me get out in front of this and make all this well. Yeah, and we find the the uh, greeting surprising from Esau. Um, you know, they Jacob and Esau had not seen each other in 20, 21 years. And so it was definitely a, an emotional reunion. And so uh, Esau met him very warmly uh, and Esau was excited to see him. So, but despite Esau's warm attitude toward Jacob, uh, Jacob seems to just this whole chapter be just super humble, like fearfully humble um, in an effort to try to have um, re receive a warm greeting or receive a warm interaction from Esau. And so he continued to refer to himself as Esau's servant through this chapter and also address Esau as my Lord. So and then even in uh, verse 10, when it says your face as one sees the face of God, uh, I believe this could be referring to Jacob giving God credit uh, that their meeting was one uh, was a positive one instead of a negative one. And that God had changed Esau's heart from his former murderous intentions toward Jacob. And so um, we see that that God came through and God delivered Jacob uh, like Jacob had requested in prayer. Absolutely. Another thing to note, I think in verse five, um, we read, he raised his eyes and saw the women and the children and said, who are, who are these with you? So he said, the children whom God has graciously, graciously given your servant, Jacob is thanking God and giving God credit for the blessings that he has been bestowed and I think that's definitely a really uh, great um, continuation of kind of Jacob's um, growth in his relationship ultimately with God. So that's really great. Um, yeah, I did think the reference to saying that Jacob has ultimately seen the face of God is very, very interesting. Obviously, Esau is being kind and loving in this embrace and who is also kind and loving well god is so you know the attribute that he saw is at this point displaying mirrors an attribute of that god always um is displaying so definitely pretty interesting and then in verse eight we read and he said what do you mean by all this company which i have met and he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. This is ultimately referenced the company. I believe this is referencing the all the 580 animals that he had sent um, out previously. So, yeah, this is referencing that gift. And if you don't recall from the last chapter, 
Jacob's completely loaded at this point, and he gives a tremendous gift to his brother Esau. Verse 12, then Esau said, let's journey on and go, and I will go ahead of you. But he said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the flocks and herds that are nursing are a matter of concern to me. And if they are driven hard just one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure at the pace of the cattle that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Then Esau said, Please let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Succoth. Yes, so here um, it appears that maybe the reason that Jacob gave Esau for not traveling with him could be another deception because after Esau returns to Seir, uh, we see Jacob goes ahead and heads in a different direction. Um, he doesn't go to Seir. So uh, Jacob was headed north to Succoth instead of south to Seir. And the interesting thing is we actually learn more about Seir and Edom in the book of Obadiah. It actually talks about the uh, geography there. Um, but Jacob does not end up heading there. And uh, not sure why. Maybe he doesn't want rest, or maybe he doesn't want like full restoration with his brother, like like his brother does. Maybe he just feels like it's a risk. Maybe uh, he feels I don't know. Yeah, there's a little bit of confusion here. It's not fully explained. It's really hard. It's hard to know exactly what was happening here. You're right, because ultimately what Jacob says here is. In verse 14, please let my Lord pass ahead of his servant, and I will proceed at my leisure. At the pace of the cattle that are ahead of me, and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord at Seir. Until I come to my Lord at Seir. So Esau's going to Seir. Jacob says he's going to Seir too. At some point, right? It doesn't no, say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, he's giving the intention to Esau that he's going to be going to Seir. And then what do we learn in verse 17? But Jacob journeyed to Sakoth and built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Sakoth. So was this deception? Did Jacob eventually go see Esau in Seir? Potentially, it's not mentioned. It doesn't say that he does it necessarily. So is this was this like another moment of deception, possibly, or was it possible that Jacob maybe ended up going there to see his brother at some point? Possible. The scripture doesn't does not record a trip to Seir that Jacob took that trip. So we just don't know. Uh, the other thing that's pretty fascinating here is that. Uh, and this is from Dr. Constable's commentary notes. 
this is only the second and it is the last conversation between Esau and Jacob mentioned in Genesis. On the first occasion, in chapter 25, verse 29 through 34, Esau failed to perceive Jacob's capacity for exploitation. On the second occasion, he fails to perceive Jacob's hesitancy and lack of excitement about going to Seir. In both cases, Jacob succeeds in deceiving Esau. Which kind of gets us... Um, towards the end of this chapter. And it's this whole idea that is Jacob completely a new man or is, or does he fall back and forth between his old Jacob self and his new Israel self? I see it falling back into some Jacob self. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I think I, I suspect, you know, it's hard for to throw Jacob too hard on the bus. Aren't we all just floating back and forth between, you know, like our old selves and our new? Hopefully we get rid of the old self as much as possible. But to me, um, I think everyone waffles a little bit between their Jacob selves and Israel selves. Verse 18, Justin. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem which is in the land of Canaan. When he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city, he bought the plot of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamar, Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. So Jacob, after this epic journey, finally leaves Laban, gets chased down, then comes back, has a conversation with his brother Esau, and he finally gets back to the land that he originally left. And if y'all recall the dream that Jacob had 20 years prior along on his way to his uncle Laban, if you recall that dream in chapter 28, verse 12, I'll read it. And he, Jacob, had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Then behold, the Lord was standing above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. So it's been 20 years. This is the dream that Jacob had whenever he was sleeping on those rock pillows. And so um, this is all this, this promise by God has ultimately been fulfilled by Jacob coming back. And Jacob knows this. He sets up an altar. He calls it El Elohi Israel. And the reading, the interpretation, uh, the, the, what that means from what I've read is the mighty God is the God of Israel. 
or more short, I've also read that it, it means the God of the God of Israel. Jacob clearly here uses his new name Israel and not Jacob. Yeah, we see some parallels in this section uh, between Jacob and Abraham. So uh, Shechem, where Jacob pitched his tent, is actually the same place Abraham first camped when he entered the land of Canaan, as we saw from uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. And so Jacob also purchased land and built an altar there, like his grandfather Abraham had done as well. And uh, really just in this whole section with kind of wrapping up what we see here, Jacob recognized that God had kept his promises and brought Jacob safely back to the land of Canaan um, just with the, with the altar and, and just the, the statements that he made. Absolutely. This has been an epic journey. Crazy, crazy epic journey. Who would have thought that whenever he was leaving, that he would be gone for 20 years? That's a long time. I mean, you never know. You never know where that first step out your front door is going to take you. To me, it's a bit exciting. What do you think, Justin? Super exciting. Um, you know, I, I like going new places, you know, switching things up, getting new adventures, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's exciting. Um, I bet he was excited to return home, though, at the same time. So, yeah, he, he had been there, um, I think, longer than he had planned. Uh, but he was thinking, Jacob was thinking the long game here. Look, if you're going to go there and come back, do it right, right? I mean, come back with a whole bunch of animals um, and with his wives. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were out saying a whole bunch of wives. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, you can have a different, you can have a different attitude when things turn out in kind of a adventurous type way in which there's many different turns Right. I mean, there was a lot of different turns of the way things played out that I imagine Jacob wasn't planning. I think you can take the attitude of getting excited about these turns, right? Having this idea that who knows what God has in store for us? Who knows what could happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen in a year from now? That's kind of exciting. That's kind of fun. You can see that in a, in a good light. If, you, if you're putting God first in your life, I think you can see that as an exciting thing. Now, if you're not putting God first in your life, obviously I think that'd be a lot more terrifying thing, not necessarily having control of your destiny. But when you put God first in your life, these steps into the fog are what make life extremely interesting, to me at least. I enjoy these things, and there's no reason to have like extreme anxiety um, especially when you're putting God first. Yeah. So one of the, the big application takeaway for me is that um, it can be easy to forget what God has done for you uh, in the past when we have a new problem that we need help dealing with, right? We, we're always excited when God answers our, our prayers and helps us. And then all of a sudden we forget about it, how, how God did that when we got this new problem come up. And so in moments of stress, we can, be tempted uh, to return to the old ways instead of trusting God. I remember that um, there was this job I, I had 
um, when I kind of was going through this transition of, of leaving my, my old self, it was a big spiritual growth uh, time that I had at this job. And so when I started looking for a new job, obviously I was tempted to not want to deal with the difficult stuff of revealing what I was doing, but I didn't want to lie. It was against my convictions to just lie to avoid the awkwardness. And so um, I remember that I had a job interview coming up. So I went and told my boss and I, I asked him if I could have this certain uh, this morning off uh, the following week. And I remember that I had my plans of how I was going to like reroute. I wasn't going to lie, but if he was going to say, what are you doing? You know, I had my ways. I was going to like um, just be, be reroute the questions so I didn't have to answer them. And so that morning when I asked him for that time off, he's just like, oh, yeah. And he didn't say anything. And then that day after lunch, he totally caught me off guard. He's like, oh, hey, you're not going to a job interview. Are you? I was like, no. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I felt convicted. I regretted it so much. And I just prayed. I was like, Lord, I'm not going to lie to my boss ever again about these interviews, no matter how much he catches me off guard, no matter how awkward it is. I, I regret this. And so my next job interview, um, I asked for time off. And uh, he did the same thing. He's like, oh, you're, you're not going for an apply. You're not going for an uh, interview, are you? I said, yes. And he, it was actually in the morning. He ate peanuts in the morning. He almost choked on his peanuts. Um, and so uh, he was like, what? Well, you're not supposed to tell me that. I was like, well, you ask. And so um, he had sat me down and he had reminded me that before I took any jobs, he wanted to make sure that he had a chance to counteroffer. And I, it, because of my honesty and 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 that kind of stuff, he he valued um, he he valued the situation in our relationship in a sense that he wasn't blindsided by it and that I wasn't lying to him uh, when he asked about something that was actually happening. And so, do you, and it actually ended up really well. I mean, he didn't he didn't get all mad at me. He actually asked me to not take the job and until I hear their counteroffer. And so. Even in difficult situations when we're tempted to deal with things the old way, dealing with things um, by trusting God and, and making sure our biblical character is there, I found oftentimes just makes it go even smoother. So, yeah. If anyone is uh, wondering what job Justin used to have, he actually used to be a runway model, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> not hard to believe with that that lovable cuddly face but uh no that, yeah. that definitely wasn't it um you should but... see justin turn i mean he knows how to <laughs> turn so uh... i know here's the thing no one knows how to walk like henry though henry has got legit swagger this in his walk i remember one time i had to walk it was either behind him or in front of him at this wedding we were in the wedding party together and it, it was a bummer i think it was i had to walk behind him and the way he entered the room when they introduced, I was like, oh, man, this I wish I could have walked in front of him. That way I didn't have to follow that, that much swagger. I and mean, what was I going to do with that? That's true. I'm a hard walk to follow. So uh, <laughs> everybody, stay. don't get behind me. Stay in front of the lesson here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why, you know, speaking of people who didn't stay behind, Jacob – you didn't stay behind in this little story of ours today. Story is probably not the right word. Factual account. Historical account. Historical account 
of what happened here. Jacob and Esau. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it had a better resolution than you thought it would, mostly. That's true. Except for, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Very good. Well, everybody, uh, <laughs> I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful, incredible, amazing day. For show. If you, next time you're flipping through the channels and you see America's Top Model, Justin was actually in season 12. <laughs> um, he... Isn't that with the girls? Do, do they, they have a male version? There was a special male episode this one time. Okay. That went for over 12 seasons. Okay. <laughs> no, no. In the 12th season, it was actually a men only. Oh, okay. Uh, season, yeah. You you know you're America's Next Top Model. This I is do. odd. I do. This I is do. weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard for me not to watch season 12 when you uh, told everyone at church about, about it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I watched the whole season. It's true. Um, anyways, ask your permission first, your mom, your parents' permission before you, you know, look for Justin there. <laughs> anyways, guys, everybody, bros, brosifs, hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful, amazing week, and we will bro you later. Mm. Bro out. <laughs>